Today we're going to be continuing the sermon series called Soul Reset. And every week uh, we've got a little card, really attractive card, that centers the word that we have for today. Last week it was rest, and today it's whole. We're going to be talking about wholeness, what it means to be made whole. We're going to be talking about this soul reset based on uh, this book by Dr. Junius Dodson, who is the general secretary of our board of discipleship for the United Methodist Church. And uh, he's, a, he's a great one. And I think this book is tremendous. And so uh, this is not just a bookmark, even though it, it serves as a nice bookmark. It has a weekly practice that we'd like to encourage you to be in. And I'm going to say more about this at the end of my sermon today. But we want you to have this. If you didn't pick one up going when you came in, we want you to have one of these so that you can go through this week, all of us can, basically practicing the same spiritual discipline that leads to a soul reset. Um, Dr. Dodson, in this book, gives us some great advice uh, for what it means to reset your soul. But it comes to us from him because he himself was inspired as a clergy person. He was serving a church at the time that it was time for him to have a soul reset. And I, I dare say that, um, that sometimes we pick a sermon series and I realize that I'm preaching to me the most. And, and this is the case with this soul reset. Your pastor needs a soul reset. Amen? We all need a soul reset. And, and so I'm going through this sermon series not only preparing messages, but I'm also uh, engaged with you, believe me, in trying to um, uh, set better patterns for my life in this soul reset. I want us to turn our attention to the screens. We have a, a little video that uh, Junius Dodson has done that helps us to hear from him what inspired him to write this book. And we have copies of this book in our bookstore if you'd like to get a copy and go through it with us, sermon by sermon, chapter by chapter. So let's look at the screens. It was the most embarrassing moment of my life. Within the first minute, I knew something was off. I walked up to the pulpit to preach at a funeral, but I was feeling lightheaded and disoriented. I had preached a thousand sermons before while feeling under the weather, and I thought, if I can just power through this message, I'll be okay. As I started speaking, I quickly realized I was not going to make it through the sermon. The next thing I knew, paramedics were putting me into an ambulance. I knew then that I had exhausted myself to the limit. I hadn't taken care of my soul. I needed a soul reset. Maybe that's you today. You're exhausted, overwhelmed, depleted. Maybe you're busy taking care of so many other people that you haven't stopped to take care of yourself. Soul reset is my invitation to you to join Jesus in the journey to wholeness. A soul reset for me meant a new depth of joy and peace that I have never known. And it only came through staying close to Jesus. In this book, there are biblical examples and spiritual practices that will help you keep God first in every area of your life so that your daily life, your workplace, 
and your church will never be the same again. Join me today for a soul reset. soul reset you, you know when you read this book I, I don't know if it's just because I'm a pastor but I read it with the pastor's eye and I know that I'm reading the words of a pastor and it has been quite convicting to me in fact I nearly called the sermon series off it's so convicting you, you know we preachers we like to preach you know kind of like we got it all together well sometimes we absolutely don't particularly related to a soul reset and you know, when I watched Junius um, and, and read through the book, what I discovered was uh, he really called me out. Um, you know, I find myself in the midst of just the day-to-day -day ministry. I mean, yesterday I was with a family who was uh, losing a 23-year-old son to um, a cancer. He's been struggling with for some months. And, uh, you know, that was very difficult um, to say goodbye to such a dynamic young man. Um, I confirmed him in this church. I've been his pastor for 23 years since he was a little, little boy. And, and then that afternoon I had a wedding. I mean, it's those kinds of swings that we, we get in, uh, you know, as clergy persons that, you, you know, it's just part of what we do, of course, but it also, um, it also weighs on you. And, you know, I, I found out, you know, a year and a half ago, my parents' home burned to the ground. And their, their health is not the greatest. And, you know, you find yourself taking care of, of parents and working through uh, traumatic situations and, and, and in addition to what you do in your day job. You know what I'm talking about? And, and all of us, all of us are there. Clergy don't have a bigger load than you. You don't have a bigger load than we. But it, it is important that we all come to the realization that this is part of life. And our spirituality is part of life. And having our souls reset and having that connection that we need with Jesus it is so very important in the midst of uh, crisis or in the midst of circumstances that we can't control. Because we need that assurance that we're not in it alone, right? You know, John Wesley was the founder of the Methodist movement in 17, the 1700s. And, um, you, you know, the movement was a, a kind of a movement from the Anglican church in England. It was a movement among the poor who really weren't welcome in the churches. And, and, and Wesley was pushing a particular kind of spirituality that, that caused the early Methodists to be in classes and groups and in bands. A class was a group kind of like a class today, may have had 10 to 12 people in it. A band might have only had two or three people in it, uh, or, or, or four. It was a very small group. And, and yet the question that the classes asked one another, and especially the bands asked one another, was this, how is it with your soul? That was the question you asked every week. You didn't go into these groups with somebody uh, going to really teach you. I mean, it wasn't like it was a, a, a Bible study group. It, it was an accountability group. You were holding one another accountable, which meant you were helping one another. You were serving the Lord by being um, interested in the, in the souls of those in your group. We need more and more of that today. 
We need to have those groupings of Christians that, that we trust, that we love, who we know trust us and love us, who can ask that question, how is it with your soul? Turn to your neighbor and say, how is it with your soul? Well, unfortunately, we don't have time enough in here to answer it, right? I mean, we could, we could just kind of team up and spend the whole time dealing with how is it with your soul. Some of you would say, well, you know, it's pretty good this week. Some of you would say, it's been a catastrophe. You don't have time in this hour of worship for me to tell you how it is with my soul. It's not the setting in the time of worship, really, to check how is it with your soul. But it is important for us to have those Christian groupings that we can ask that very basic question, how is it with your soul? We're going to read a text today that's just a few verses long, and we're going to read it from Eugene Peterson's The Message. In fact, I think we may just read it together. But I want us to hear in this the title of this message ringing true, and that is, how are we living into the rhythms of God's grace? How are we living into the rhythms of God's grace? Now, now, this particular text, as all texts in the Bible do, has a context. It has a, a space in which it came to be. Uh, the words of Jesus didn't just come in Him teaching on a mountain somewhere all the time. Sometimes it came right in the midst of an everyday life human experience. And what Jesus was saying over and over again to a people who were actually burdened by their religion. Listen to this. A religion that had so many rules and laws, and there were those who were seen as righteous who kept most of them. Everybody knew nobody kept all of them. But they kept most of them, and they looked down on the others who they knew didn't keep most of them. And, and so it was a rules-based, a laws-based religion. And you could, you could never, ever live with the burden the law placed on you. And, and Christ came to, to initiate grace to us. And, and to say that God is a God of love. And to say that, that, that the burden I bring is light. You know, I want to relieve you of thinking you have to be in charge of you. You can share that burden with me, Jesus said. You can share that burden, as the church knows today, with the Holy Spirit. You know, verse 30 uh, it says in most of our translations, For my yoke is easy and my burden light. In Eugene Peterson's book, The Message, that 30th verse says this, Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Don't you like that? I'd like for us, because I don't want you to go to sleep on me today, I'd like for us to stand up, stand up, stand up. And, and I'd like for us to just read this scripture text together. It's just three verses. So let's read it together. Are you tired and worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitted on you keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly isn't that a powerful three verses
Wow, if we could embrace that today, it would be a miracle. It'd be a miracle uh, and, and set us up for miracles in life. You may be seated. I'm not going to make you stand up for the whole sermon. <laughs> You're welcome. What is wholeness? What is wholeness? What's a soul for that matter? You know, soul is the essence of our being. It, it's, it, it's who we are. Uh, deeper than our physical, it's who we are. And, and, and to be whole, is, it looks like the ability to be able to share Christ out of our abundance. That's what it means to be whole for a Christian. To be able to share Christ out of our abundance because we are so close to Jesus. All right? Now, some of us are, are, are really close to Jesus, and some of us feel like, well, we, we may not have found ourselves today as close to Jesus as we'd like to be to Jesus, and, and that's kind of why we're here. Wholeness is His grace and love that has filled us to the point that it overflows into the lives of others. Isn't that where we want to be as Christians? Don't we want to be so full of Jesus' love that it just overflows out of us into the lives of others. The early Methodist groups that I talked about earlier, they had that. They met weekly. Sometimes The band sometimes met daily. And, and they would ask that question, how is it with your soul? And, and it was like the love of Christ, the grace of our Lord and Savior was just overflowing into them. That's why the movement spread like wildfire all across the continent of, of Europe and into the United States where it became a denomination. The Methodist Church, the Methodist Episcopal Church was what it was first called. Now, Junius Dotson said this, I've heard that the number one cause of stress is incongruent values. Not being authentic, not living out of what you think is truly important, if you think of following Jesus, if you think that think following Jesus is important, but your life doesn't have any room for time with Him, things might start to feel forced and burdensome, and that produces stress. I think that's an important word. I think it's important for us to note that the Christian life and what it means to live a whole life, to, to live in that wholeness of Christ, is for it to be authentic, not to be forced, not to be contrived, but for it to be as natural as your best relationship on earth is. That relationship with Jesus Christ needs to be that authentic. You know, this is what I believe Jesus was talking about when in the 10th chapter of John's Gospel, we have recorded the words of Jesus, I have come that you may have what? Life. And that you have it how? Abundantly. I'm just not, I'm just not here, Jesus said, for, for you to have, be taking in breath and food and all of that. I, I'm here that you'll have life and you'll have it abundantly. That you'll have abundant life. You know, I think abundant life that we have here is just a taste of what eternal life is all about. I think eternal life is not what we wait till we die to experience. I think it's the experience of what Jesus talked about when he talked about abundant life. And how do we get to abundant life? 
We get there by doing what Jesus said. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. You We're not seeking our own righteousness. We're not seeking to be lifted up because we're so good and we keep all the law. We're seeking God's righteousness. We're seeking Christ's righteousness. We're seeking that goodness so that we can overflow into the lives of others. We've got to seek God first. I want to share a letter with you uh, this morning that I wrote to the congregation uh, back uh, 15 years ago or so. And um, it came out in a newsletter we called Strands. And... and, um, it was an, it was an, it was a, a, a basically a, an asking permission for a sabbatical. You know what a sabbatical is? Well, fortunately, um, those who teach in universities know what a sabbatical is. Those who teach in seminaries do. Some preachers take sabbaticals. Some some other professions grant sabbaticals. I know that. Here's what I said. Wow, I turned 46 this year. I've been preaching for 30 of those years or since I was 16 years old. And this June marks my 25th year in staff ministry and my 23rd year of ordained ministry. I became your pastor in the spring of 1998. And it truly does not feel like eight springtimes together, but it has been. We've done much together and had lots of work to do. This was in the spring of 2006. A few weeks ago, I met with the Staff Parish Relations Committee to talk about taking a three-month sabbatical to begin on June the 26th and end on September the 25th. The United Methodist Discipline states that every six years, an ordained clergy person can take a sabbatical of up to one year. Few clergy take sabbaticals at all because they're not at their churches for more than six years. (laughs) Or perhaps they fear that a sabbatical is a sign of burnout, which absolutely it is. (laughs) Let me tell you something. we've, We've granted several sabbaticals here, and we hadn't had this happen here, but in most granting of sabbaticals, you can count on the person who got the sabbatical being gone within 12 months. Really? back to this sabbaticals are common for clergy in academia and the time apart accompanies goals of achievement usually related to writing books or doing research that requires concentrated effort in surveying my peers at large churches many of them who have been in their appointments for more than six years have had at least one sabbatical and I'm humbled and grateful uh, gratefully appreciating of, of the gift that you've given me. The Copelands will definitely have some uninterrupted family time that we are excited about. The sabbatical, however, will primarily concern growing spiritually in my relationship with Jesus. And the project I will be working on is a book regarding the works and the ministry of my mentor, Dr. William H. Henson, who died six months ago to the day of my beginning the sabbatical. 
Bill's wife, Jean, is making some of his unpublished works available to me and being informed by my personal relationship with Bill, along with the assistance of a couple who are writers and friends of mine and Bill's, I will write. And working on this project will mean much to me personally, and likewise, I covet your prayers that it will be completed and the book will be an inspiration to many. There are other personal goals that hopefully will be achieved and evident upon my return, making me a more effective pastor, preacher, and visionary leader of our congregation. In a word, I want to get closer to Jesus. Let's begin to make this a matter of prayer, that God will use this sabbatical for His purposes and for all of us. I was in this very room on the night that the the congregation wished me well on my sabbatical. Um, Donna, you may remember that night. We were all gathered here. And and, uh, anyway, it 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 was a great time. I needed it. I needed it. You know, I'd lost um, a very close friend in Bill Henson. The year prior, 2004 General Conference, I was an elected General Conference delegate, and it was a pressure cooker, tense General Conference. At that conference, my mentor Bill Henson suggested the church have an amicable separation 16 years ago. And then within six months, he was dead. There was so much pressure in the church. I'm glad we're not there today, aren't you? (laughs) Same deal. 16 years ago. Same old conflicts. Same old tension. Same old bickering back and forth. It was a gift to go on a sabbatical. I wrote the book. It actually was the bestseller for Cokesbury that year in its particular category. Sold 12,000 copies. And, 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 and it, 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 it largely was popular among uh, the more conservative branch of our denomination. That's ironic. Because Bill Henson was kind of the leader of that particular branch. And I wanted to honor him by writing this book. But I also wanted to work through my own grief. Because I know the cost of undealt with grief. You have to deal with grief. Now I want to tell you what I did on my sabbatical. I'm not going to tell you everything you don't need to know. But I started in July. And I went to visit Gene Henson in Huntsville, Alabama. And I collected things about my mentor and stories. I collected that little book he'd been working on, which had some wonderful one-page stories. And I drove to every church that he had served in South Georgia. Every church. And, and along the way, I wrote this book. And it was a, a time of prayer for me. And getting in touch with my own grief. And it was a time of getting closer to Jesus. I read the Bible a lot. Not because I was preparing a sermon. Because I wanted to read the Bible. And I prayed. uh, Not over people who are in the hospital. Or or in in a shut-in situation. Or at a banquet or some deal. Because I was the preacher. I prayed because I wanted to talk to Jesus. You know, you think about it. Those of us who who are in professions that are about faith, 
oftentimes reading Scripture and prayer and the very basics of our spirituality can become just what we do to produce our work. you got to watch that. Or I've got to watch that. And we had some family time. We went on a great summer vacation. Zach, our son, was a freshman in college, and he was... um, Uh, playing baseball at Southwestern University. So this was the first year of of his college experience, first summer, and they were getting ready for the baseball team. I got to go down there and spend some time there. and I was just afforded this wonderful, wonderful time. And then I started to get reports that things weren't going all that well on the home front in that we had a couple of staff people resign and there was... Some bickering within the choir, no offense to the choir. But there was all kinds of irrational kinds of things going on, you know, and, and it just seemed to be getting more tense and more tense. I started to get a few calls, you know, from the home front about uh, getting a little tense around here at your church. <laughs> it was the end of August. And I'd finish the book. I remember right where I was. I can't tell you the number of the hotel room, but I was in a hotel in Georgetown, Texas. Had watched Zach play baseball that day. Summer training, I guess you'd call it. And Katrina had just swept across New Orleans. We were just starting to hear... All that Katrina had done and the loss of life. If you can remember that time, there was a lot of fuzzy details. And it just kept getting clearer and clearer that we'd had a major catastrophe in this country. And all of a sudden, George W. Bush came on television. He was on vacation. I think for the whole month he was supposed to have been on vacation. And he came on and addressed the nation and said, I'm coming back to Washington. Vacation's over. And I heard God say to me, "Uh, you've got to return too, big boy. And so that night I made a plan that sabbatical was over a month early. And I needed to go home. And you know what? There was a mess here when I returned. Nobody's fault. I'm just telling you, there was a mess here. And I want to tell you that I could not have faced the conflict had I been running on empty like I had been two months prior. Wouldn't have worked. May have cost me my ministry. But right back into the conflict, I leaned You always have to lean back into the conflict. And you dare not lean back into the conflict without Jesus. Don't try it. Don't try it. If you're just depending on your own abilities, you'll find out about your inabilities. If you're dependent upon Jesus to face whatever life circumstances come your way, you will have 
the comfort and peace of one who takes the yoke off of you, who wants it to be easy, because he's helping you carry it. Do you hear it? That's the Lord we serve. The God whom we honor in our worship is the God who wants this burden. We all have burdens. He wants the burden to be light because He wants to help us with it. Now, I want to say this morning, we don't have time to waste. Maybe in my telling my story, you've thought of a time in your life, you might not have been ready to go there today, but a time that was extremely tense for you. You may be right in the middle of that time right now. Who am I to know? But our faith shouldn't be about when we get ourselves together or to get everything just right or when we retire, how great it's going to be. It should be about experiencing the best that God has for you in the right here and in the right now. God doesn't want us to put our relationship with Him off for another day or until our next sabbatical. By the way, I'm not going on another sabbatical. But we've got to find our time of sabbatical. And we best do that weekly, daily. One of the ways we can fully or live fully in the now is to take the space to remember our way, the essence, the core, the thing that drives us and brings us passion. And remembering your why, that that purpose is so very important. We all need to be in touch with the why. Why we do what we do. Why we're here at Crosswalk today. Why we seek Christ in our hearts. Why we need the Holy Spirit. In our lives. We need to ask ourselves the question. How is it with my soul? Where am I right now? And we don't want to answer that question in some trite way. We want to really explore it. In a deep and honest way. You know, one, one of the ways that we can connect to Jesus is through the spiritual practice. And as I mentioned earlier today, um, that's what this is about. So you can take this out if you want to kind of follow me. This particular practice today comes to us from um, Ignatius of Loyola. And Ignatius lived from 1491 to 1556 in the Common Era. And and he was one who had this deep communication with God and who had this practice um, that was called the prayer of examine that that he not only practiced, but his followers also practiced this. It was a way to discern the will of God for my life in the present, in the now. It was a way to deal with the why. Why we do what we do as people of faith. In both spaces, we need to seek God and to hear from God about God's will and discover the truth that God has for us in the now. So, look at these questions. Think about yourself in the midst of a daily quiet time. 
be it the morning or be it at night, when you light a candle to symbolize the presence of God, and you ask yourself these questions, what has brought you the most joy today? Well, yesterday, for me, it would have been going over and seeing Claire Bear. Did I tell y'all I have a grandbaby? She loves it when Pop comes over. She likes to get in the bed of my pickup. It's like a playground to her. There's nothing in there. But boy, does she like it. If there's a leaf in there, she's throwing it out of the pickup. That brought me joy. It brought me joy last Sunday when Emily and JB called and said, uh, JB serving a little church in the country. Got 30 members who come to church. Little white frame, picturesque building. Said, we had Holy Communion today. And after communion, we went and served Four people, homebound communion. I got to thinking, my daughter's never been in a little church. They're like two kids in a candy store. The pastor and the pastor's wife. That brought me joy. What's bringing you joy? What makes you sad today? I was sad yesterday with that family. I knew I needed to be there and they needed me there, but it was sad. It's sad to say goodbye to someone when you can't explain why a 22-year-old has a metastasized stomach cancer. You can't explain that. But we all have sadness. There's no one here today exempt from sadness. That's part of life. Think about the best moment of your day. Where was God in it? Reflect on your ability to give and to receive love today. Do you hear that? It's not just about you giving love. It's not just about what you do. We have to receive love. You know, we have to, we have to let someone love us. We have to let God love us. We have to receive love in order to be those who let that love overflow into the life of another. Think through everything that happened today and give God thanks for His presence with you. Think about you doing that tomorrow, about today. Or tomorrow evening, about Monday. Consider the idea of wholeness. What makes you whole? You've got an assignment this week. I'm not letting you out without an assignment. This is your assignment. I mean, don't be coming back here next week and not have your homework done. Let's reset our souls. It's Lent. It's what we do during Lent. We, we, we reflect on our souls. We ask ourselves the question, and maybe we're in groups where we can be asked by others how is it with your soul let's close our eyes what's bringing you joy right now what's you bringing you a, a sense of burden in your life right now You know the Lord wants to share 
by shouldering that burden with you. What is God saying to you about your soul reset? Gracious and loving God, we thank you for hearing our silent prayers. For knowing our thoughts before we ever identify them ourselves. We thank you for drawing us closer to you. And for your desire to make us whole. Free us from our burdens. And free us for light free living walking each and every day with you that's where we want to be oh Lord And we're praying for a soul reset a restart with you and we commit to this journey of seeking wholeness this week Lord of desiring your abundant life that can be found only in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.